Our Old Testament reading this morning is Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62. We'll read the whole chapter together. This is God's holy, perfect, unfailing word. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace, day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies, and the sons of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored, but those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. In our New Testament reading, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, would you take your word and plant it deep in our hearts, plow up the earth of our hearts, plant it deep, let it take root, let it bear fruit, for Christ's sake. Amen. How holy do you want to be? 
I don't mean that as a rhetorical question. I want you to think about that with me for a moment as we start considering this text together this morning. How holy do you actually want to be? Let's bring our hearts under the light of God's Word here. How holy do we want to be? How pure and Christ-like do we actually want to be? Our hearts can be deceptive. We can think, yes, I want to grow in the Christian life. I'd like to become more holy. Uh, we, can, we can pray for that. We can think we want that. But our heart's love for sin, our attachment to sin, can run so deep uh, that, that uh, often, I think, our prayer, uh, we, we, we would sympathize with Augustine in his famous prayer from the Confessions, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. Of course, Augustine there is describing his attitude before his conversion, he wanted holiness some point in the future, but not right now. Right now, he wanted to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he prays, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. That's Augustine before he's converted. But something of that, I think, can often linger in our hearts, even after our conversion, that we lack a desire for, for holiness, that our, that our hearts still hang on to idols. They're attached to idols. We can't quite bear to let them go. I think there's at least here as we read 1 Thessalonians 4, it seems to be that in the background of this, there's a bit of this attitude perhaps among some of the Thessalonians. Uh, as much as they are a, a strong and thriving church as we've seen, um, Paul is commending them for things. He's been thanking God for the work he's doing in them. But here he presses on them the importance of increasing in holiness, abounding in it more and more as he writes in verse 1. And loved ones, that's what God is calling us to here. That's what God is commanding us here. An ever-increasing holiness. We, we don't reach a point where, in this life, we don't reach a point where God says, that's enough. All right, that, that's enough progress. That's enough. You can relax for a little while. Take it easy for a little while. Take a break from sanctification. No, that, that's, that's in heaven. That rest will come when the work is completed by God's grace on the last day. But... For now, Paul says, keep pressing on in holiness. Three headings as we work through this text together this morning. First is this, a God-pleasing life. A God-pleasing life. As Paul starts, he's in, we're in 4 verse 1. As Paul starts here in chapter 4, he's starting a new section in the letter to the Thessalonians. And he's turning here to kind of full-on teaching mode. Um, he's been giving thanks. He's been praying for them. He's been kind of reflecting on their relationship with him, his relationship with them. Um, and we've been drawing lots of implications and commands from that. But here, Paul turns and he gets direct. And that's what the rest of the letter up to the closing greeting will be. It's going to be this direct command or direct teaching about certain doctrines. And our passage this morning is focused especially on a command for how we are to live in light of the gospel that we've seen. The first thing we see in verse 1 is, um, is this. Living a thoroughly Christian lifestyle is not optional. Paul isn't giving uh, the Thessalonians some pious advice. He's not um, giving them a helpful recommendation here. He puts it in the very strongest terms. He says, We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. He's saying, I'm not writing this as, as, this isn't Paul speaking, this is Christ speaking. I'm urging you in Christ to abound more and more. He's going to come back to that idea of, of urging them in Christ at the, uh, in the next verse. But here he, he starts by saying, you should abound more and more. 
Uh, in the Greek, it's even more forceful than that. It, you could translate it like this. It is necessary that you abound more and more. Paul is saying, I'm not giving you uh, just, a, here, here's an option for the Christian life. Here's, here's the extra credit option, if you like, for the Christian life. He's saying, this is Christianity 101, baseline stuff. You need to be increasing in holiness. This isn't for the overachievers. This is for everybody, Paul says. What's necessary? What, what do we need to be increasing in, Paul? He says, abounding more and more in, in learning to walk, learning to live, to please God. He's saying it's necessary, absolutely necessary, for you to keep on increasing in holiness, increasing in living to please God. Our tendency is to, is to, is, is to feel the, the exact opposite of this, this desire to please God that Paul is commanding us to. Our desire, you know, our, our, our sinful but natural desire is to live to please ourselves, right? The catechism question and answer one that we're born with is my chief end is to glorify me and enjoy myself whoever I want to rather than our chief end is to glorify God to please God to enjoy God our sinful hearts are so self-centered and uh, that's why it's so hard for us to, to, to come under the work of the spirit and have hearts that are redirected reshaped to, to desire to please God and so we can, we can kind of toy with pleasing God, toy with living a Christian life. We, um, we'll, we'll, we'll desire to please Him sometimes, but we're, we're, we don't want to make it the whole of our life, the great business of our life, to please Him. We can make uh, pleasing God something we do Sunday mornings, maybe Sunday evenings, maybe Wednesday evenings, maybe in our uh, time of devotions, but, but a whole life of pleasing Him, a whole life directed, shaped, oriented towards pleasing God, that's what he wants from us. Why should we do this? Paul gives us a good reason in verse 2. So he said, it's, it's necessary that you increase in living to please God. Then in verse 2 he says, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So Paul is taking this command, live to please God, and he's basing it in uh, the authority of Jesus. That's how we started in verse 1. We already just took a quick look at this. We urge you and exhort you in Christ, in the Lord Jesus, he said. Here he says it again. For these are the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He's, he's telling them, the command I'm giving you to do this is Jesus' command. I'm passing on his command to you. This is, this is the teaching of Christ. And if we look at the Gospels, we see that, right? We see this is the kind of life, of, of life that Jesus himself lived. Uh, Jesus says, John 4.34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. That's Jesus' life to please God. That's the life Jesus lived. It's the life He calls His disciples to follow Him and live. Mark 3.35, Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says, My family are those who live to please God, who live to do His will. And, and this kind of God-directed life means uh, a life of, of holiness. Jesus says in Matthew 5.48, You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the lifestyle Jesus lived. This is the lifestyle His followers must, must emulate. The question, would, would we want to live a different way from Christ? 
Could we, could we find a better way to live than the Son of God found to live? A life of increasing, abounding holiness. That was Christ's life. A life desiring to please God in everything. A life directed at God in everything. Paul says this isn't only the lifestyle Jesus commands. It's also it's what God's goal has been in the whole of your salvation. And that's where we turn next in the second heading this morning. A holy life. So we saw a God-pleasing life. Now a holy life. This is verses 3 to 7. A holy life. Paul begins here in verse 3 by giving a second reason for living a life pleasing to God. So first, the first reason he gave was this is what Jesus has commanded, emulated, uh, that, that we are to emulate and follow. Now he says, here's another reason you should live a God-pleasing life, a holy life. It's, it's because this is God's will for you. This is what God has, has, you know, this is the end he's designed you for, made you for. Verse 3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Write those words on your heart, brothers and sisters. God's will for you is holiness. That's the goal. He says it again. Paul says it again in verse 7. God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Holiness is the goal that he's called us to. What is this sanctification, this holiness that he's called us to? The word sanctification, we, uh, it's not a word we use that often. Um, we, can, we can think of the root there. And you know, I, I was trying to think of a word we might use more often. Sanctuary, perhaps. It's a a set-apart place. A a bird sanctuary is a place set apart, right, for the birds, and and we can go there and see them. It's when you sanctify something when you set it apart for a special, unique purpose. So you could say, in our house, we sanctify our kids' church clothes. Not that they're inherently holy, but we set them apart from their other clothes because if we don't, they'll put them on and go in the mud and play with their trucks in the dirt. And we don't want their church clothes getting trashed, so we set them apart for a special purpose. That's what sanctification means, to set something apart for a special purpose. And Paul is saying, God's will for you is that you be set apart for the purpose of pleasing Him and and living a holy life that, that brings Him glory. A life that's unstained by the dirt of sin. A life of obedience. That's God's will for you. I remember in high school uh, hearing... Lots of chapel messages and, and having conversa- hearing people have conversations about finding God's will for your life, right? And that was, that's a popular topic among high schoolers. You're trying to figure out what God wants you to do. And there's, some, there's an element of truth there that we need to pray over and use the God-given wisdom we have and, uh, and, and pray the Lord would, would open doors for us and that we do something pleasing to Him. Uh, but I, I wish that someone had come to chapel and said, High schoolers, this is God's will for your life. Holiness. And pled with us to, to, to live holy lives, pursuing sanctification. That's God's will. And so this is what Paul points out to the Thessalonians. This is God's goal for them, their holiness. Paul Tripp writes this. He says, we forget that God's primary goal is not changing our situations and relationships so that we can be happy, but changing us through our situations and relationships so that we will be holy. So, brothers and sisters, do you hunger for holiness? Do you long for a greater holiness? And, and are you working towards it? Paul, Paul calls us here to be making this the goal of our lives because this is God's goal for us. So it's something that we should be disciplined in the pursuit of, something we should work hard to achieve. 
by the grace of God. I think often it's not so much holiness that we desire, it's happiness, as Paul Tripp was bringing out in that quote there. And we'll tolerate some holiness if it means happiness. But, but God calls us to holiness, brothers and sisters. Yes, He calls us to joy, but He calls us to joy in Himself, a greater happiness than the happiness of, of, uh, of, of the temporary happiness of sin. How does, how does Paul apply this demand for holiness to the Thessalonians? We see this in verses 3 to 5, and this is the focus of, of his command here. He, he takes this general application that he's calling them to, to pursue holiness because God's called them for holiness. And he says, here's the area I want you to really focus on. It's in regards to sexual immorality. In verses 3 to 5, we see this. Thessalonian culture, uh, much like ours, was steeped in sexual immorality. Uh, sexual sin was everywhere. It was woven into the fabric of Greek life. It was it was in it was in pagan religion. It was it was there. Uh, they had you know cult prostitution. They had uh, just sexual immorality was was seeped out of the Thessalonians' daily lives and their religion. And here, you know, we have these Christians who've come out of this past. They've come from this pagan religion. They've been converted and they're now worshiping Christ and here they are and Paul's writing to them and and he's reminding them of what they've been called to in Christ. And and no doubt these Thessalonians in their culture are getting mocked for their new views. Getting facing lots of pressure to to turn back and do what they used to do. To give in or compromise even just a little bit to the culture around them. And our culture is just the same. Isn't it? We've We've done the same. We, we throw off restraint. We give ourselves to whatever immorality we can think of. Um, it's, it's rampant in our day. Just like the paganism of Thessalonica wove sexual immorality into their religion, so our own day, we, we, take, we see secularism with its own kind of religion, a godless religion, weaving in sexual immorality uh, to, to you know, the idea of autonomy, the idea of identity, uh, doing whatever you feel like doing as long as it doesn't you know, step on the toes of someone else's autonomy. Doing whatever we please because we want to please ourselves. That's their culture. That's our culture. And it's a temptation the church is not immune from. Right? We, we feel the temptation. We, we see it. it. It invades our own lives too. It's the, the seeds of every sin are there in our hearts too. What are we to do? Paul here calls the Thessalonians first. He simply says, abstain from it. Don't do it. Flee it. Be like Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife. You know, just turn and run the other way as soon as temptation comes. Do whatever is necessary. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 5. Take whatever necessary measures you need to, to to cut off sin. He says, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. It's what... um, John Owen put so well, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. That's Paul's message here. Abstain from it. Don't do it. This demands self-discipline, doesn't it? And that's where Paul goes in verse 4. He says, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. He means each of you should have self-control over your bodies. You should, you should be the master of yourself. 
Don't let sin sit in the driver's seat. Have Christ there. Master yourself. Our culture, again, is, is, preaches the opposite of this message. Our culture says, fling off the restraints, indulge yourself, treat yourself, follow your heart, pursue your passions. God's Word says, self-control, self-denial. Not asceticism. Not, you know, there's a place, a good place to enjoy God's good gifts. But don't give in to sin. Don't make sin the master. So we need to train our, our, our hearts, loved ones. How do we do that? How do we retrain our hearts uh, so that we no longer love sin, but love holiness and love the Lord Jesus? Well, at the root of sexual immorality is idolatry. It's, it's, it's loving something else and worshiping something else instead of the Creator. Loving something God has given, a gift of God, instead of Him, the giver. That's uh, why so often in the Old Testament we see this connection between uh, immorality and idolatry. We see it in the New Testament too. And Paul goes there when he says in verse 5 that we're not to live in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's, he's contrasting the way the Gentiles worship with the way the Christians worship. The way the Gentiles live, the, the Greeks, the Thessalonians there in the city, they worship other gods. And so they live in immoral lives. And Paul is saying, you are to not worship their gods and live the way their gods tell you to live. You are to worship the true God and live the way He calls you to live. So that's, that we have to fight this battle at the level of our hearts. It's a matter of worship. What do we worship? Do we, do we live again to please ourselves? Or do we love what God loves? Paul then goes on. He gives one more piece to the exhortation. He said, you need to abstain from this immorality. You need to practice self-control. Don't let sin master you. Be holy. Uh, you know, worship the Lord. Don't worship your sinful desires. Then he adds this piece. He says, as he closes out here, uh, as he closes out this verse, he says, if you do this, you are sinning against God and you're sinning against the one whom you sin with. He says that this adultery that's going on or whatever form of sexual immorality this is, the threat of it. This is, this is it's creeping into the church and, and it's causing people to take advantage of each other and hurt each other. They're committing sin with each other and leading each other into sin. Paul warns them, if they do that, it's going to bring God's judgment. Alright, so we've seen here Paul's command. Live to please God. Live a holy life. Do it especially in the realm of, of sexual immorality and idolatry. Put away those things Worship the Lord and live for the Lord. And as he finishes this uh, section here, this command, uh, he gives us a warning about the stakes of this fight for holiness. And this is verse 8, the Spirit-filled life. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. We can treat sin so lightly. We can, whatever sin it is, we can treat it so lightly and, 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 and casually. But Paul says, if you reject this, you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God who gives you His Spirit. This is hugely consequential, Paul is saying. Sin is a rejection of God. It's a hatred and defiance towards Him. Then, then he, he points us here to how God is the one who gave us the Holy Spirit. He's saying the very Spirit of God 
whom, whom, whom Christ has sent to fill us, the Spirit who's in us, making us the temple of the living God. That's the Holy Spirit. We've been made into the temple for Him, right? Our bodies are. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 will reflect on. Are we going to make space in that temple for another idol to come in? For, for, for another God to be there besides the Holy Spirit? Are we going to take the bodies that, that are filled with the Holy Spirit and use them for something unholy? Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you are a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying. The Spirit has united you to Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you. So don't, don't take that body and give it to idols. Don't give it to sin. So there's a warning here in this verse. But it's not just a warning. I think there's also a word of encouragement to us. A reminder of how we actually can grow in holiness. How we can put sin to death and, and become more holy like we're called to. It's not just by, by, by sweating more, working harder. Um, it's through the Holy Spirit. It's only through the Holy Spirit as He works in us that we can put sin to death and grow in holiness. This is why God gave us the Spirit. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. God is the one who's given us the Holy Spirit to make us holy. We must rely on the Spirit who, who unites us to Jesus. If we want holiness, loved ones, we need Him. We need the Spirit to work. Well, how do we do that? How, how, do, we, how do we do call on the Spirit to work? Well, you pray. Pray the Holy Spirit would be at work in you. Pray in specific ways that the Spirit would help you put sin to death, put your idolatries to death, uh, teach your heart not to live to please itself, but to live to please God. And, and pray the Spirit would, would, would take up the Word. That's the, that's the tool the Spirit uses for this work of sanctification, the Word of God. Pray the Spirit would take that word and wield it in your heart, work it in your heart, so that you might grow in holiness. So come and sit under the preaching and seek out the word of God and pray the Spirit would be at work and you buy it. Maybe you've been listening and um, thinking over these things, wondering how much do I desire holiness? Uh, Perhaps doubting whether holiness, self-denial is worth it. Uh, Maybe it's just not worth it. Maybe we'd be better off living to please ourselves, not living to please God. But the the reward of holiness is so much better, loved ones. Remember we said this is the lifestyle that Jesus chose. Are we going to come up with a better way to live than the way our Lord Jesus did in all his perfect wisdom? And the, the holiness, the reward of holiness is that we see God and have fellowship with him. That's what we were made for. This is, this is what God has designed us for. And we will be most satisfied only when we are what He made us to be. Not by the fleeting pleasures of sin. Maybe you're listening and you're thinking, well, I think I'm actually doing okay. I, I've, I've had struggles before, but I, I think I am living to please God. Well, that's good. But Paul says, abound more and more. So don't be content with where you are. Continue to seek His 
Spirit, speak God's, seek God's Spirit to work holiness in you. Pray that He would show you your sin that you can't see and help you to put it to death and pursue a life pleasing to God in every aspect. Maybe you're listening and you're thinking, well, you don't know how deep this sin runs in me. Uh, you don't know how old these habits are, how, how suffocated I feel by my sin-sick heart. Remember that the Holy Spirit is much stronger than your sin, loved ones. He's stronger than lust. He's stronger than, than lack of drive for holiness. So repent of it and seek Him. Seek that He would throw down the idols, cast them out of your heart, and, 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 and place Christ on the throne there. But finally, what, what about when we do fail? What about this week when we fail? You fail and I fail. What do we do then? Well, we go again to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that's what Paul has been, that, that's what he's been doing in this whole letter, isn't it? I mean, he's writing to the Thessalonians and, and, and many of them lived in sin in the past and many of them are probably going to stumble into te- in, in temptation and sin again in the future, but he's writing to them and he calls them those who are in Christ in this letter. He calls them those who are under God's grace in this letter, those who are the elect of God, the beloved of God. So when we do fall, go there, go to Christ and, and seek His grace once again. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in Your holiness and Your perfect righteousness. We rejoice that You've given us Your Spirit to make us more like You. We pray that Your Spirit would indeed work powerfully in us by Your Word to conform us to Yourself. This we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Closing.